Hello. There. There we go. All right. Man, I'm glad, Gerald, you already have a job. Because that was good. We're going to be in Ephesians 2 this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus changes everything from death to life, from the walking dead to walking alive in Christ. Now, let me just say right here, I've, I've never seen the show Walking Dead. I know there's zombies involved. Okay, but this is the original Walking Dead right here. Okay. And for the past couple of weeks, we've had several days that I would call stay inside days, right? No. 30 some degrees and rain. Come on, Sharon. I, I love snow, but sleet and freezing rain and ice pellets. No, thank you. Some of it has been pretty through the window. There was a guy who said, my wife thinks it's pathetic that I just stare through the window when it rains. He said, I think it'd be less pathetic if she just let me in. (laughs) Yeah, well, perspective, right? Well, this passage will hit you differently if you're in as opposed to out. Okay? If you're in Christ, if you're on the outside looking in, my prayer is that today... God would open the eyes of your heart to hear and understand and that you will respond to His great love for you. You see, this passage is the gospel. It's the sum and the summary of the Bible. It is who we are, what we are about, what we believe. It's who we are as Christians. And my prayer for us as believers is that as we hear this message today, we'll be filled with awe and joy to worship God to praise Jesus, our Lord and Savior, to be reminded of His love and this glorious salvation that we have received, that will be encouraged by it. We hit pause on our study in Ephesians 2, I mean Ephesians, two years ago, at the beginning of the lockdowns, at this passage. And because it's so central, we're going to look at it again today, and then next week, Gerald's going to pick up where we actually left off um, in Ephesians. There's a lot of different ideas out there about God and heaven and how you get to heaven. But most of those ideas come down to two groups or two approaches. One of my favorite quotes, if you've been here for a couple of weeks, you've heard me share this quote. It's preacher J. Vernon McGee. He said it this way, there's only two kinds of religion in the world. You can list every ism, every cult, every religion under one category. It says, they, they all say, do, do, do. Work. Only Christianity says done. Jesus has done it all. And Paul here is talking to the Ephesians, but he begins by reminding them who they were apart from Christ. And this, this is really an incredible example of the testimony of anyone who is saved, anyone who's a follower of Christ. It's my life before Christ when I met Jesus and was, a mate, and was made alive in Him. And what he has done and is doing in and through my life now. This is the testimony. So the bad news first. Look in, uh, look in verse 1. Apart from Christ, we were spiritually dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
See, for those outside of Christ, this explains their current state. And for the believer before Christ. Three things we see here. Apart from Christ, we are dead. I mean dead, dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is not metaphorically speaking. This is a spiritual state of being, and it speaks to the separation that one has with God apart from Christ. And, a, and of course, a dead person has no awareness of their spiritually dead state. One can seemingly be brimming with life physically, but where it matters the most spiritually, in the soul, they have no life. Apart from Christ, we're dead. Secondly, apart from Christ, we are destructively following the enemies of God. And what are those enemies? The first one is the world, the world system. Galatians 1.4 calls it the present evil age. It's a man-centered, sin-celebrating culture and a twisted value system of this day. There's corruption and violence and destruction of what God values. We've already heard about it today. It's a devaluing of life. It's a devaluing of marriage. It's a re, uh, an attempt to rearrange God's definitions on things like gender. That's the twisted world we're living in. What is good is called evil. What is evil is called good. We were destructively following the enemies of God, living according to the ways of this world. The second enemy was Satan, or is Satan. Lived according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. He's called the ruler of this world in John. He's called the prince of demons in Matthew. He is real and he is actively working evil and chaos and destruction. And there is no middle ground. If you're dead in sin, then you are following the devil and you're in rebellion against God. You're either in Christ or this, descript, this describes your current spiritual state. Third, the third enemy is the flesh. The desires of the flesh It's called here. The passions or the desires of the flesh. We inherited our sin nature from Adam and Eve. We're born sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. One pastor put it this way. The dead, those without Christ, are dominated by the world, the devil, and the flesh. The world dominates from without, the flesh from within, and the devil from beyond. These are the terrible dynamics of spiritual death. Apart from Christ, we are dead we are following the enemies of God, and we are doomed. And we were, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I told you this was bad news, right? For all, in, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are guilty and stand condemned apart from Christ. That's who we are. And we deserve justice, and that would be God's wrath. And God would be holy and righteous and just if He just wiped mankind off the face of the earth. He would. And that would be the end of the story. And He would be just in doing that. But the next word, verse 4, but. It's a word full of hope. It's a little word, but it's full of hope. Here's the deal. We were dead. We were following the enemies of God. We were doomed. But God. But God. This is where you were. But God intervened. He acted when we couldn't. This is, these are two of the most incredible words ever written or spoken. You see where we were. 
but God. He did something for us that we absolutely could not do for ourselves. And this is the turning point of history. But God comes in grace because of His love. Even while we were His enemies, even when we were dead in our sin, He made us alive with Christ. And this is, I I put this in my notes, it's happened several times, but my only response is, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Apart from Christ, we were spiritually dead, following the enemies of God, and therefore doomed. But second point, with Christ, we are made alive in Him. We are saved. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's the deal. God is the noun. He's the point here. He's the one who does something so that our desperate situation can change. It's His love, His grace, His mercy that He richly pours on us. But God, what did He do? He made us alive together with Christ. Why? Because of His great love. Not because we deserved it, not because of anything we had done, but because of His great love. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates His love for us in that while, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Going deeper, it's because of who He is. God is love, but He is rich in mercy, we see here. In verse 7, it says that, that He pours on us the riches of His grace. And He has acted in line with His character in pouring on us this mercy and grace. Will Metzger, in his book, Tell the Truth, he's talking about dying. And he says, as each goes to their appointed destination in the afterlife, no one will say, I didn't get what I deserved, except those in heaven. God's mercy. We deserved hell. But in Christ we get heaven. By grace you've been saved, this verse says. This salvation is offered to all those who will confess, that is, agree with God about your sin, turn away from your sin, the Bible word is repent, and trust in Jesus. This grace is offered freely, but it is costly. One church father put it this way, God does not give grace freely in the sense that He will demand no satisfaction, but He gave Christ to be the satisfaction for us. You see, there's no forgiveness, there's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood, and Jesus shed His blood. He paid that debt by dying on the cross. And by doing that, Jesus satisfied the rightful punitive justice of the Almighty Judge of the universe. Do you see the great love with which He loved us? He has made us alive together with Christ. He has raised us up with Jesus. Like Jesus came out of the tomb... We are no longer spiritually dead, but now we are alive in Christ. He has made a place for us in heaven, and Jesus told us He would. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And we have received, and we are receiving, and we will continue to receive the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness. Jesus was the final sacrificial lamb. He paid the price for our freedom, and then He defeated death, hell, and the grave. So that we could share in the victory that enables us to share this eternal life. And the third point. In Christ we are His workmanship. 
And it's going to get a little redundant because this passage is. And because Paul hammered this point, I'm going to hammer this point. In Christ we are His workmanship. Salvation is His work, not ours. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation, and, and I've got several points here that aren't on your outline that come under this. Salvation can't be earned. It's a grace gift. We are saved by grace. It's the undeserved or unmerited favor of God. It's God giving us what we do not deserve, and He saves us. Grace is a gift, and it's free. I need a volunteer. Jason, will you come here? Thank you for volunteering. I appreciate that. Romans 3, I already shared, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the next verse says, and are justified, that is put in a right relationship with God, by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jason, I have a gift for you. It's a used bottle of water. It's actually not the original water. Yes, but, uh, but I would like you to receive this gift... Give me twenty dollars. It's a gift. Yeah, yeah. Give me twenty dollars. I gave you a gift. Now give me twenty dollars for the gift. Is this like those internet gifts? <laughs> you can see that went just like we didn't practice it. It's a. Is it a gift if you had to pay for it? Just think how Christmas would be. <laughs> you had to pay for your gift. That destroys birthday parties, doesn't it? Pay for your. Gift, that's not, if you have to pay for it, it's not a gift. Gifts are free. Grace is free. Salvation is not something you earn or deserve. It's not a result of anything you've done. And this, this destroys the argument. Some would say you have to be baptized to be saved. Some would say it's all about church membership. I've heard people say, How do, uh, do you know if you're going to heaven? Well, I, I'm, I'm a member of that church down there. You know, membership, baptism, that doesn't get you in. If you can contribute to it, then you are earning it, and that's not how it works. If you've been saved from your sin, you've been given a gift, you don't boast about the gift. No, you're filled with gratitude toward the gift giver. See, if we could boast about it, we would. I know you folks, you would. If you could. I, I would too. No. And it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is the human response, the belief. How do you take hold of this gift of grace, this forgiveness, this salvation? Romans 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. But faith is not a work. It's a gift. We were dead, remember? We're going to come back to that. We had to be awakened to believe. All of salvation is a gift. We are saved by Jesus. Spurgeon put it this way. It is not your hold on Christ that saved you. It's Christ. It's not your joy in Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not even your faith in Christ, though that be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and His merit. We are saved by Jesus. This, this salvation can't be earned. It's a grace gift. 
but it's also it's an extravagant gift. Here in this passage, we read immeasurable riches of His grace. In Titus, He poured out on us richly through Jesus. In Ephesians 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. God is good and He is gracious to us. And our salvation is indeed the gift of God. And I think you picked this up by now. But it's really about who Jesus is and what He has done for us. That's what it's about. We're not saved by works. Third point in this part is our works, our righteousness is insufficient. Religion and good works is man's attempt to get to God and it always fails. It'll never work. You would be the noun in the sentence if I can boast because I say myself because of my good works. Do you see that? And let's consider why work salvation doesn't work. Work salvation underestimates man's terrible and sinful state. If you don't get that, go back and look a little bit longer at verse 1 through 3. It made it very clear. It also underestimates how holy and righteous God is. It tries to bring God down to our level. Work salvation way, way overestimates man's ability to do good or to help himself. And this seems kind of simple, and I told you I'd come back to this, but a dead man can't help himself. The wise theologian and philosopher Travis Bone, he's, he's sitting by back there. He said the other night at, at Life Group, he said a dead man can't do nothing. Yeah. Another, another wise theologian, Martin Luther. I'm going to put you right there, Travis. <laughs> Church father and reformer, Martin Luther said, the most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man was the idea that somehow he could make himself good enough to deserve to live with an all-holy God. There's a whole lot of folks around us that think, well, I'm going to just, you know, you just do the best you can. You live according to the golden rule. You treat others the way you want to be treated. That's how, that's how you get to heaven. Or, you know, I just hope that my good's going to outweigh my bad. I'm a lot better than my neighbor. Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you. There's not going to be any scales on judgment day. You're either righteous or you're not. And you'll either be seen as covered and clothed in the righteousness of Christ or you'll be standing in your own righteousness, which Scripture says is like dirty, nasty, filthy rags. It's one or the other. Again, we aren't saved by the setting aside of justice, but by Jesus fulfilling the justice that was required. God's not just some indulgent father that's willing to just look the other way with our sin. In His righteousness, God required the sin debt to be paid. In His love, He provided the payment in Jesus. He is holy and righteous and He is loving and gracious and merciful and, and there is no conflict in Him. There's none. Jesus provided from His treasury of His merit and He imputed to us His righteousness so that we could be restored to a right relationship with Holy God. Thank you, Jesus. We can rest in Jesus' work. His grace is sufficient. And I'm going I'm to drive it home one more time. God's great grace works alone to save. 
Works plus grace is no gospel. There are a lot of religions and cults that will say, yeah, we we believe in grace. We're all about grace. But just do this, this, and this too. You've got to do this and this. And some of them write it down and others are just legalistic about it. They'll beat you over the head with the Bible. They won't say it's works, but that's what it is. It's God's unmerited favor. I've seen commercials recently talking about how to boost your credit score, and it got me to thinking. I think some folks think it's almost like we have a spiritual credit score. And if you do good works, you can boost your, your spiritual credit score with God. That's not how it works. You can't have grace and merit. Paul said it this way in Romans eleven six. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Think about it. Grace is unmerited favor. So you're, now you're saying we've got to have merit added to unmerited favor? That's a contradiction. Just That's practically true and it's biblically true that two don't go together. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's almost like God knew we were going to have a problem with pride. (laughs) In our pride, we want to earn it. We want to deserve it. Pride stands in the way for, for, for the one who doesn't know Jesus. Pride stands in the way of of, of coming to the point of seeing the need, of having that humility that's necessary to see and acknowledge the desperate, sin-sick condition and the need for forgiveness. But it's not just a hindrance to those who are lost. Paul was talking to the believers in Ephesus, remember? He's talking to the believers. Pride and the, the, the temptation to try to rest in that or trust in that is a hindrance to our walk in this grace life that we've been called to, to walk. Let's go back to the cross. Prophecy from Isaiah 53. Surely He has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Who's acting here? It's God. God is the one. But His gracious, gracious action is focused on the suffering servant, Jesus He's laying our sins, our griefs, our sorrows on Him. He's crushed so that we can have peace with God and be healed spiritually. It's not a reaction to any good we've done. It's the gracious response of God to us and our sin. The ultimate example for me is the thief on the cross. You remember Jesus is hanging on the cross between two criminals? Each of their own, on their own cross beside him, and Jesus, you know, one of the one of the one of the thieves comes to a moment. He says, "Jesus, remember me when you when you get to your kingdom." He cries out to Jesus, and Jesus says, "Today you will be with me in paradise." Today. When I was thinking about that, I couldn't help but think of the. Uh, there's a video clip of a pastor by the name of Alistair Begg. 
Um, and, and, and it might have even been put on our, our Westwood Facebook page at one point. And, and he describes this scenario. And, and I got to looking for it, and I was like, oh, now i got to share it. This is really good. But he said, he said, think about that thief. He said, I can't wait to find that fellow one day and ask him, how'd that shake out for you? Because you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You didn't know a thing about church membership, and yet you made it. How'd you make it? And, that, and he says he imagines this scenario. That must have been what the angel said. What are you doing here? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. And the angel goes and gets his supervisor, and the supervisor says, uh, uh, let's, let me ask you a few questions here. Are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> Never heard of it. Well, how about the doctrine of Scripture? And the supervisor angel says, well, how in the world, on what basis are you here? And he says, all I know is the man on the middle cross said I could come. Whew! That's the only answer, folks. If you, if you get to heaven, and he said this, if you get to heaven and, and, and on the basis you start with, I No. he, Jesus, it's Jesus. Did the thief on the cross have time to do some good works? No. He was in the process of dying. And Pastor Begg went on to say, and he summed this up for us as believers, and so I want to share this. He said, if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If if I take my eyes off the cross, I can then... Give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends on me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you, lead you either to abject despair because of sin or a horrible kind of arrogance. It is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I, I'm doing pretty good. I think I've got this figured out. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul was counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. That he who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Jesus has saved us, and He alone deserves the glory. My final point, salvation empowers us to produce good works. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So who did the work of our salvation? We are his workmanship. God did the work. We're the product that he produced. We are created in Christ Jesus. Listen, you and I aren't just repaired sinners. We are new creations in Christ. As Gerald read earlier, the old is gone. The new has come. And there is richness to this word, workmanship. It literally means a work of art. It's only used in one other place in the New Testament. That's Romans 1 where it says, All creation declares the glory of God. It's where we get the word for poem. 
But it could mean any painting, sculpture, or writing, any work of art. In other words, what this is saying is, you are His masterpiece of grace. If, if you're in Christ, you are His masterpiece of grace. Wow. I want you to think about that for a minute. That'll make you uncomfortable. You may be like me and you may be like, I'm really more a master mess than a masterpiece. You know, and honestly, in and of ourselves and in our own strength, that, that's pretty good summation probably. But if you are in Christ, I want you to say to yourself right now, I am His masterpiece of grace. That is what He has done and is doing. And again, thank you, Jesus. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. God in His sovereignty had good works in mind for me and you ahead of time. What are those? I don't have time to be specific here. But the second half of Ephesians is going to give us a lot of ideas of what it is and what it looks like. Okay, so stay tuned for the rest of the story. But good works that we should walk in them. This is called a bookend. Remember in verse 1, we were the walking dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now we are alive in Christ and we are His masterpieces of of grace created to walk in good works. We were dead. Now we're alive. We were walking in sin. Now we're walking in grace and good works. If you belong to Jesus, you are His workmanship, and there will be good works in your life. That's not how you're saved. That's the product. That's what comes out of a saved life. Authentic believers demonstrate a Jesus-changed and grace-filled life. James had a lot to say about this. James 2, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And he goes on. He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And what James is drawing, making us aware of, here is the reality that you can believe and you can assent to the truth that Jesus is God, that He is who He said He is, and still not believe and trust in and know Him. And James goes on to say, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And in verse 26 on down, he says, For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Where there is genuine faith, there will be good works. We are to be His masterpieces of grace on display for all the world to see. And when they see His grace in our lives, it will, it will cause them to think of the, the artist, the Creator, who has done this work. Look what Jesus has done in and through Him, and her, him or her. A family was on their way home from church when a little girl said to her mother, Mama, the preacher's sermon this morning confused me. And the mother said, Why is that? And she said, Well... He said that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? She said, yes, that's true. 
The little girl said, well, he also said that God lives within us. Is that true, too? And mom said, yes, that's true, too. Well, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? And he should. He and his grace should. Yeah. May others be amazed at God's grace in our lives. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that grace is available today. He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to run to Him today. I pray that you feel the conviction that God could cause to stir in your heart that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, that you need a Savior, and His name is Jesus. My hope and prayer is that you will run to Him today. Today is the day of salvation. If you're a believer, I think, about, I think we can identify with John Newton, the author of the song Amazing Grace, who said, I am not what I ought to be, how imperfect and de- deficit, deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil, and I would cleave to what is good. I'm not what I hope to be. Soon, soon shall I put off mortality and what mortality all, and with mortality all sin and imperfection. Yet though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. And I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge by the grace of God I am what I am. I hope that that's you today. That you see God's working in your life and how He has been pouring out His grace on you and working in and through you. That you would be able to see that ain't nothing good in me but Jesus, but He is in me. And so there is good to see as I point others to Him. Bow your heads with me if you would. Listen, there's no reason to live in self-condemnation. Rightly deal with your sin and live free in Christ in light of grace. Are you trying to earn what God has already given you? Let me tell you where our hearts should be. Humble gratitude. All of His love and mercy and grace. Lord, I pray that You would help us trust You more. Lord, I pray that we would be aware of Your grace in our lives. That we would be overwhelmed with the reality of the love and grace that's been poured poured out on us. This glorious salvation that You've given us. Lord, I pray that we would shine, Lord, like stars in this crooked and perverse generation. Lord, I pray that we would shine in such a way that others would see our good works and glorify You. Lord, may You be exalted. May others see the grace that's been spilled and poured all over us. May others see You. May others be drawn to You in us. And Lord, for the unbeliever, for the person here today that doesn't know You, Lord, I pray that they would be convicted. Lord, that they'd be drawn to You. That You would save their souls today. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.